Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And as you're making your way there, I do just want to give a, a, a special welcome to those of you who have, who have been, uh, been at home during this COVID season and are just now starting to make your way back. And just to let you know, we completely get it, and yet we are completely thrilled you are here. Uh, over the last uh, few weeks, um, a lot of people beginning to make their way back with uh, vaccinations and things like that. And some of you are still at home, and if you're still at home, we get it, and we still love you, and we look forward for you to... Uh, looking forward to seeing you whenever you get back. But special welcome uh, to those just uh, making it back here for the first time. And it's, I, I think I heard from the other two pastors, it's been a year. Uh, a year ago this Sunday, if, if I'm right, was the first Sunday that was canceled uh, due to COVID. And then... And so, you know, we look back and uh, it, it encourages my heart more to see people who have been gone for a year come back because you see how much they missed it and then you see how much they love this church and they love you. And so what a blessing, what a blessing that is. And so uh, as we get together and uh, continue to open God's word, let's keep, let's keep uh, others who are not here in your, their, your prayers and we'll look forward to seeing them back. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're finding ourselves this morning as we continue through our series in the book of Colossians. I'm going to pick it up in verse 8 and read through verse 15 just to get some context from last week. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you... Who were once dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We'll look at verses 11 through 15 this morning. When you came to Christ... If you, came, if you have come to Christ, when you came to Christ, you were made whole, you were made complete. It's popular in America, uh, America today to have a, some sort of plus subscription. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are over 430 streaming services that have the word plus as part of their name. They have Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, Discovery Plus, CBS Plus, Plus Plus Plus, Apple TV Plus, all these pluses and on and on it goes. So how it works is that when you pay for a subscription to one of these, these, these media companies' uh, plus services, the idea is, is you get full, instant, complete access to all their movies, all their shows, all their programming. You get, you get more than just the basic passage. You get it all. And so in order to experience the fullness of everything that Disney has to offer, you have to pay for this Disney Plus prescription, uh, subscription, and uh, you get full access. And then they make you pay another $20 for the most recent movies that have come out. So it's not really full, but, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, you pay more. You get more and more and more. If you want all of what Discovery has to offer, pay this and you'll get it all. 
And unfortunately, that's how many of us live our Christian lives. I have Christ, but there's something more I need. There's something more in my life. There's something that's missing. I have, I have Christ, but to really experience the fullness of what Christ has to offer, I have to, I have to pay up. I have to put some religious coins into the slot so more of Christ comes out. There's something more out there than just Christ. I know him, I believe in him, I'm saved. There's more, there's something more. My life, my job, my marriage, my finances, my depression, my anger. It it needs more than just Christ. And so we go around looking for a Jesus plus subscription when it doesn't exist. We graduate from Jesus and we move on to religious stuff to try to get more of the Jesus we just graduated from. And I want to read something. I read this with her permission. Alyssa Wagler just posted this, uh, our own Alyssa Wagler posted this on Facebook just the other day where she said, the name of Jesus has become more and more precious to me over the last couple years. I grew up thinking that Jesus was for little kids and new believers and God was for adults. Oh, how wrong I was, she said. Jesus is my Savior, my Lord, in my salvation. I need him every day, end quote. And that's exactly it. There's no such thing as a Jesus plus subscription. There's no such thing. There's only Christ. There's only Christ. A healthy man does not need medicine. Neither does a Christian need anything else other than Jesus. A Christian doesn't need hollow philosophy like we looked at last week. We don't need empty, captivating philosophy. We don't need religious legalism, which is what we're going to look at this week. Nor do we need severe asceticism, which we're going to look in three weeks. We're going to take a break for Palm Sunday and Easter here uh, the next couple Sundays and then jump back into Colossians after that. But a Christian doesn't, we don't need those things. We don't need to try to pay off our guilt We don't need to try to win God's favor, appease God's wrath. We don't need to check off church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, or anything else. We're complete in Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to get this young church in Colossae to understand. And they've got this whole whole conglomerate of stuff pounding down on them, trying to convince them that there was something else other than Christ. There's a different philosophy. There's a different worldview. There's a different way of living life. There's certain religious things you need to do to get more of Christ and to be found in him. There's, there's certain laws and disciplines you need to put into your life to get more of Christ. And Paul is saying, you're already complete. There's no checklist. I was raised, and this may be true for many of you, I was raised in a Christian environment where the way that the rules and traditions of the church were talked about and enforced I was far more in tune with the many rules that you had to follow than I was with Christ. And instead of being full of Christ, I was full of rules. Full of, I was at a full checklist, full of all this religious stuff I was supposed to do. And I based my completion, I based my Christian completion, not off of who Christ was, but I based it off of How many church services I went to in a given week. I based my completion off of how many missions trips I went on when I was in youth group. 
I based my completion off of, of how I dressed on Sunday, on whether or not I listened to Christian music. No drums, by the way. I based my completion on whether or not I worked on Sunday. All how I looked, how I looked outwardly. And I would look back at my life and I looked at this checklist and I said, I'm complete. I'm doing it right. I'm a Christian. All the things on the checklist are checked off. I'm a complete Christian, yet I was lacking in every single way. Because when that becomes Christianity, when that becomes how you determine whether or not you are complete, what did I have have instead of Christ? Arrogance? I had superiority? Where I remember the look I gave one of my Christian friends in high school, the the, the moment we were riding in his car and he was listening to non-Christian music. I was like, like, what on earth? Like, you know, bail out the car right away, get out, you know, jump out. Even though the car's moving, get out of here, run. I had arrogance, I had superiority, I had legalism, I had a faulty view of God, a faint love for Jesus Christ, and a myriad of other sins. But thankfully, religion was there to cover them up. But even my own heart, it's drawn to those things, it's drawn to the Jesus Plus subscription. Because these are things I can do, and I don't have to worry about what's in my heart. Because I've got the checklist on the outside. I look good to grandma and grandpa. I look good to mom and dad. I look good to pastor. I look good to my youth pastor. We must be careful to think that anything else other than Christ will make us whole. Last week, we, we learned that, that Christ is enough so you don't have to go to this empty philosophy. You don't have to adopt any other philosophy of life. Christ is enough. And today, we're going to look at Christ is enough, so don't go to empty religion. And we're going to look at three aspects to being complete in Christ. Three aspects from this passage to being complete in Christ. Number one, you are entirely made new. Three aspects to being complete in Christ. Number one, this is verse 11 and 12. You are entirely made new. In him you're also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you're also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We have a couple pictures here in this passage and it can get kind of confusing with everything he's trying to say. But uh, the first thing is, is circumcision. So he, he says, he says um, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now in the Old Testament, circumcision was established by God as a sign of the covenant he made with Israel. We get that in Genesis chapter 17. Now it was a physical operation, but it carried great uh, spiritual significance. So that God never intended the act of circumcision to be a saving act. God has always been concerned about the condition of the heart. He has always been concerned about making people new, even in the Old Testament. And so I invite you to turn back to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Turn back to the book of Deuteronomy with me. I want to look at chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. This won't be on the screen, so I invite you to, to, to go there. Deuteronomy chapter 10. 
Deuteronomy chapter 10, and we're picking up in verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. So I just, just want to emphasize to you that, that God has always been concerned about the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12. He says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on you, your fathers. He chose their offspring after them. And you, above all peoples, are, you are his this day. Notice verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. There it is again. Circumcise your heart. And if you, one other, we can, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, and Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, say almost exactly the same thing. Because there were Jews in that day who thought that circumcision was what saved you. Because if you, were, if you were circumcised, you were made part of the covenant nation, therefore you must automatically be saved. But this is something Paul refutes in Romans chapter 2, verses 25 and 28 through 29. Look at this. Where it says, for, for circum, circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes, becomes uncircumcision. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Now here's what this means. This means that if you're a Christian, you're not a Christian because you go to church. You're not a Christian because you've been baptized or you've taken the Lord's Supper. You're not a Christian because you are in a, in a, you've been raised in a Christian family. You're not a Christian because you've done good works. You're not a Christian because you do a lot of things. You're not a Christian because you live with high standards or because you live with high morals. Our sin is too deep, our sin is too invasive, our sin is too saturated, our sin is too severe for any of those things, any religious things, to take its place, to cover it, to do away with it. And so we have this, this, this uh, operation, pretty graphic one at that, given by God to the people. Well, why was it? Well, the reality of this, it was a really graphic reminder of sin, which is why it couldn't save you. The idea here, God wanted them to realize how sinful they were. It was, I mean, it was a graphic picture that from the male anatomy, he produces only more sinners. That the very core of mankind is sin and desperate wickedness. Desperate opposition to God. And it was a sign that the penalty of sin is being cut off from God forever. That's what this was for. But the spiritual reality was that instead of, the idea here is God saying, instead of me being cut off from God forever in hell, I have been cleansed by God. I have been cut off to God, set apart for God. So instead of me being cut off, 
I am brought to God. My sin and my heart of stone that Ezekiel would call it has, has been softened. It was to be a sign of heart transformation. Again, we go to Romans chapter 4, verse 11 on this. Paul says the same thing. He, that's Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Righteousness doesn't come through religion. And notice in our passage here, he talks about, he calls it the circumcision of Christ at the end of verse 11. This is where Christ comes in. This is, this is where Christ comes in and does a spiritual operation on our hearts. And he removes the power of sinful flesh. I think that's what's being referred to when it says, when it says by putting off the body of the flesh. He's not, he's not talking about the physical side of things. He's talking about the spiritual side of things. When Christ comes in you, he gets rid of the power of sin. And he gives you victory. He gets rid of the penalty of sin. And one day forever we'll be forever uh, away from the pre- uh, presence of sin. The old man was literally stripped off with all the power of sin that comes with it. And it's been removed as we walk in Christ. And then we have that word baptism, which further emphasizes this transformation. This further emphasizes being entirely made new. This is what happens to us. Whatever happens to Christ happens to us. That's what baptism is. It's, we're, 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 we're co-de- it's a co-death co-burial, co-resurrection. The old man's cut off and put to death. There's a new man uh, that's raised to life, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, we're also raised with him. So again, Paul is talking about a spiritual reality. False teaching in Colossae insisted on submitting to rules as a way to conquer sin, appease hostile powers, and have your sins forgiven. You just, if you just submit to these rules, if you just do these things, including circumcision, that's, that's really how you conquer sin. That's really how you get in touch with God. That's really how you have your sins forgiven. And Paul is saying no. Baptism is a word that's used to refer to our union with Christ. In the physical act that we do back here behind us, it's what makes that union public. It's not how you get to heaven. So we look at all this and we have to ask the question, what is sufficient? What is sufficient to subdue my sinful tendencies? What is sufficient to subdue my sinful inclinations? It's Christ. Elaborate rules, strenuous rules can never do that. I'm not saying there, it's, it's bad to have rules and it's bad to have standards. And it's, I'm not saying it's bad to follow the commands of Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying it's bad to have certain things you do as part of coming to church or things that we do in the church. I mean, there's things that aren't going to be found in the Bible that we do here. I get that. But if those things simply just become the measure of our completeness in Christ, we are, we are sinning greatly. Because the only thing those things can do is they can hide sin. When they become the priority, when they become the means through which we are made whole, they can only hide sin. But the work of Christ is what enables us to overcome sin. The work of going to church does not enable you to, co- to overcome sin. It enables you to cover it up. Following all the other, whatever rules maybe you had growing up or whatever, that's, that's not a way to overcome sin. 
We have to die to the old self, the old attitudes, the old desires, the old inclinations, the old habits, and that only happens through Christ. We are complete in him. We're raised to an entirely new life, and that's the life through which we live. And this new life can be yours, but you have to believe that Jesus died for you and rose again. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's faith, as verse 12 talks about. When it talks about faith in the powerful working of God, that's what that is. Believing who God is. It's God's power that saves us, not our own. What else could we need? Through Jesus, the power of sin is conquered. But there's a second aspect. A second aspect to being complete in Christ, not only are you entirely made, to, made new, but number two, you are completely forgiven. You are completely forgiven. Look at verse 13 and 14. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our sins, our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You are completely forgiven. Again, this is something that religion cannot do, something baptism cannot do, something church membership cannot do, something your mom or your dad or your pastor cannot do. So Paul starts off with, uh, in verse 13, and you. And then he gives a very lengthy Lengthy modification of you. So if this was, you know, this is not, this is not the, this is not the description we put in like job resumes. It's like, tell me about yourself. Okay, this is probably not a line you are putting in there. And it's not a line I put in here when they asked me for the resume at the church. Because I kind of just figured they'd assume it. Uh, you are dead. And that's what he says here. You, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So Paul just wants to make sure they know who they were. And yes, we emphasize sin and stuff around here, it's, and, we, and we glorify Christ, and we glorify God's grace, but we, we, never, we never want to forget who we were. Don't ever forget who you were. Don't let who you were, I mean, you don't want to live life, you know, looking in the rearview mirror. It's not going to turn out well. So we don't, it doesn't drive our lives. So we don't just keep pounding on your sinner, your sinner, your sinner, your sinner, so you feel, so you feel terrible about yourself. And you're walking out of here, I'm like, man, I'm really bad. No, we, just, we want to remember who we were. And Paul says, you were dead. You were without Christ. You're under the wrath of God because of your sin. Your flesh was uncircumcised. You have a sinful natures, impulses, desires, and death and eternal judgment belongs to you because of your sin. And it's not only the sins that we commit, but it's the sins, it's the reason why we commit sins. Like the reason we sin is because we are sinners. We're dominated by the sinful flesh and by Satan in the lifestyle of this world. And there's only one way to go from death to life, and that's through Christ. Sin equals death. So in order for there to be life, sin has to be dealt with. And for that, God offers forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Now let's talk about this forgiveness. You say, I want to be forgiven. And here's what God would say to you. You trust in Christ and you're joined with him so that whatever is true of my son is true of you. That is to say, Jesus bore the wrath of God on the cross. Well, that means I'm forgiven because the wrath has been removed. 
Jesus was raised to new life. That means I too will be raised to new life. One day, my body will go in the ground. If the Lord tarries, my body will go in the ground, but it'll come right back up in no time at all. God offers us forgiveness. This is, this is why the psalmist exclaimed, you remember in Psalm chapter 32, this is why he exclaimed, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. And here in Psalm chapter 130, verses 3 and 4, he said, the psalmist says this, If you, O Lord, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If you are to mark iniquities, who could stand? The answer is nobody. If I went before God without, and just of myself, no Christ, no grace, no forgiveness, and I just went and stood before God right now apart from Christ, God would begin to mark every single sin, thought, word, deed, action, motive, desire, and he'd mark them all down. And how, how could I stand against that? How could I stand up to that? How can I stand for it? But with God, there's forgiveness. Because make no doubt about it, you will either stand before God united with your sin, or you will stand before God united with Christ. And if you stand before God and your only union is with your own sin, that will call for an eternity in hell separated from God. Which is why God says, get rid of the religion. Let's get to the heart. Be joined unto Christ and be saved and be totally and completely forgiven. The cross is where we find forgiveness and acceptance. It's free. Don't you like free stuff? It's free. It's complete. It's ready. And it also serves as our motivation to forgive, which I think this is a good point to ask, how's your forgiveness doing? How many sins do you have marked is your heart filled with bitterness? Or maybe this is the main question. If you're forgiven, are you a forgiver? The picture here is of total forgiveness in verse 14. I mean, we just have this really cool word picture. This is one of my favorite passages in all the, in all the Bible. So we have the legal demands of God. And they're standing against us along with this record of our indebtedness to God. That was a verse, uh, verse 13 and 14. Uh, God made us alive. He forgave all of our trespasses. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What is Paul saying there? So what's pictured here is, is a document. Okay, so there's a document and it's got every single sin that I've ever committed. Like in thought in word, in action, in attitude, in desire, in inclination, every single sinful thing I've ever done. And there's this document, and it's written there. And on the bottom of the document, I write, I owe complete allegiance to God. I owe God for all these sins that I've committed. And then I sign my name. God, I'm indebted to you for this. The problem is, there's absolutely no way for me to pay it off. Everything I've ever done to break God's law is here listed in front of me, and I've, I've signed the paper saying, don't worry, God, I'll take care of it. 
I'll pay you back. I'll make it right. And that's the same for every person. Basically, every person has this exact same document, and you signed it, whether you liked it or not, you signed it. So the problem is, the only way to pay for that big list of sins, the only way to pay off that dark document is for me to spend an eternity in hell. Which means it'll never get paid off. It will forever be mine to hold on to. That's what, this, that's what this document is. And every single person has one. And every single person has their name signed on the bottom as being indebted to God. If you remember the parable, Jesus gave a parable of, of an unforgiving servant. If you remember, he comes to the, the king and he owes a lot. And if you actually did the math, it's, I mean, if you, if you took the yearly wages based that was given in the parable, I mean, it's like this guy would have to live like a million years making like maximum salary every single year to pay off this loan. I mean, it's just an insurmountable, insurmountable debt he owed that he would obviously, the, the idea is he'd never be able to pay it off. Not in a million years, a million lifetimes, there's no way he'll ever get enough money to pay off this debt that he owes. Well, that's the way, to, that's, that's the picture of you and me. In a million lifetimes, in a million church services, in a million Bible reading plans, in a million whatever, you're not going to pay it off. Only in eternity in hell, experiencing God's judgment. And this record rightfully condemns us. What are we going to say? These are all the things we've done. You know, it's not something other people added to this. It's our own list. When Christ was nailed to the cross, he took that record and it was nailed to the cross right with him. The debt was completely obliterated, completely removed, completely wiped clean, completely erased, and we are completely forgiven. Why would we go anywhere else? Why would we try anything else? Why would we try anything else in life to try to make us complete before God when Christ and Christ is the one who completely wiped it clean. He canceled the debt. He didn't just cancel the debt. The debt was cast on him. He paid the debt. And not a single trace of it remains. Not an ink dot remains on that record of debt whereby I'll stand before God and have to answer for it. That's forgiveness. That's completely forgiven. He takes our sin and we take his righteousness. That's what God offers through faith in Jesus Christ. Religion will never be able to offer that. Church membership will never be able to offer that. Doing good deeds will never be able to offer that. Never. Only God can. That's God's grace. Why go anywhere else? What else could we possibly need? Total forgiveness. The power of sin was conquered when we were made new. You're talking about forgiveness. Maybe you're in here this morning and you don't feel forgiven. Maybe you have doubts about God's love or his forgiveness towards you. Maybe your life is covered in shame. 
even as a Christian, maybe because of something you've done, something you've said, we go to the cross and we say, the record of those sins is completely and forever erased. There's not one sin, no matter how major I may think it is, that God is going to hold on to and have me answer for when I get to heaven. Completely, totally, forever gone. And you might be thinking, well then what difference does it make if I sin? And I would say to you, you're starting to understand the gospel. But you're not there quite yet. Because it does make a difference if you sin. Paul said that in Romans, in Romans didn't he? he says, people would say, if this is really true, why does, it, why does it matter if I sin? And Paul would say, you know, oh. now for those, for those of us who have been forgiven so much, is the right response really to live as if sin doesn't matter? Do you not know that your sin was nailed to the cross through the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? Do you not know that that, that, that document is completely covered in the blood of the innocent son of God? What then would you think would motivate you to live a sinful life as opposed to a holy life? Whatever doubts, whatever mistakes, sins, shortcomings you may have, we look to the cross and we say, the power of my shame is completely conquered. And so is the power of my sin. But there's yet a third one, a third aspect of being complete in Christ. Number one, you're entirely made new. Number two, you are completely forgiven. And number three, you are decisively triumphant. Verse 15, Jesus, on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You are decisively triumphant. The power of Satan has been disarmed. He didn't, so Jesus on the cross didn't just solve the problem of our sin, but he also solved the problem of the power of Satan in our lives. Satan is known as the ruler of all unbelievers. We get that in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. So he's the prince of this world. He's the ruler of this world. He's even called in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, as the God of this age who's blinding the hearts of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where Paul says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan is exercising great power and great authority in this world. He does not outpower Christ. He does not outpower God, but he is a powerful being. And he's content. I would say that Satan is just as content with blatant wickedness as he is with religion. Whatever will blind you to Christ, Satan is okay with. Whatever is keeping you from, whatever is, whatever, is, whatever is causing you to think you stand right before God apart from Christ, Satan is okay with. He's content with wickedness, religion. He's content with sentimental feelings, the warm fuzzies, whatever it is. Whatever else that will keep you from looking to Christ, Satan is good with it. And when Christ died on the cross, put an end to it. He strips Satan of his power. Satan does not get the final say in your life. If you're a Christian, Satan does not get the final say. We have no obligation to follow what he wants. We're not slaves of sins. We're not obligated to live in sin. We belong to Christ. 
And that's clearly demonstrated in the words, notice that word open shame. It's, the idea here is, is he, he dis, disarmed the rulers and authorities. It's referring to Satan and the, the spiritual, wicked spiritual forces. And he put them to open shame. He made a public spectacle of them. Now, back in the Roman days, when a general would, come, would return from having a victorious uh, campaign, they would give him what's called a victory parade. And so this general would ride up on a horse, and he'd be uh, exalted, and all these things, and he would, he would be, uh, he would be, you'd go through the streets of the city in all this splendor, and behind him would follow all of his prisoner, prisoners from the campaign, and they would be in chains, and that's the picture we have here of Christ. When he died on the cross, Satan thought it was a victory, but in reality, he was chained up, being dragged by Jesus through the streets for the whole world to see that he will have no power over those who belong to Christ. And we share this victory. It was made public when he rose again from the grave and he ascended into heaven. That's the victory we have. And so we can fight. We can fight Satan's influence in our lives. That's Ephesians chapter 6. We know that. We know that. We know those verses. Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's been defeated we are decisively triumphant, but until we get to heaven, we wrestle him. And he wrestles against us, and he schemes against us. And he wants to devour you. Satan wants to devour every Christian. Peter makes that clear in his epistle. Satan is prowling around looking for someone to devour you. And if he can devour you with religion, he'll do that. But because of Christ's victory... Satan has no grounds on which to condemn you. That's Romans chapter 8. No grounds for Satan to condemn you. The power of Satan is conquered. The power of sin is conquered when we are made new. The power of shame is conquered when Jesus, when we are forgiven all of our sins. And the power of Satan is conquered when Jesus made him an open uh, public uh, spectacle of defeat. So how strong is the power of sin in your life? How strong is the power of sin in your life? And are you using religion as the remedy? Are you using religion to let sin hang around and let the religious stuff cover up your sin? It's funny, you know, how opposed some of us are to masks, but when it comes to covering up our sin, we're okay with it. You've been made entirely, you've entirely been made new. Come to Christ with your sin. Take off the mask and come to Christ. How strong is the power of shame in your life? You're a follower of Jesus. You've messed up. Are you thinking that God doesn't really love you? God hasn't really forgiven you? You just don't know God's thoughts towards you if you're a child of his. Look to the cross. You've been completely forgiven. And how strong is the power of Satan in your life? Are you putting your armor on? Are you believing the lies he's trying to tell you, or are you withstanding them, his schemes? Come to Christ. You're decisively triumphant. You've been entirely made new. You've been completely forgiven. You're decisively triumphant. There's no need for empty philosophy. There's no need, no need for religious legalism. We have all we need in Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, our God and Father.
that we've been made complete in Christ. Forgive me in my own heart, running after so many things to try to get this picture of uh, completion, getting that checklist attitude. No need for it, God. We need to be followers of Christ. So help us, Lord, walk in newness of life. Help us conquer sin. Lord, help us conquer the shame and the doubt that exists in our hearts. Help us conquer the schemes of the evil one as we go day by day. We pray this in Jesus' name.